Hi everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for the very last Courageous Conversation of 2020. We're going to take a little bit of a break over the next few months because quite frankly, we've got a lot of stuff we need to do, but I'm very excited with our last guest for the year. I met Malika when I spoke at the new Regional Women in Real Estate event in Dubai just a few short weeks ago, and I loved her story so much. I invited her to join us. So Malika, thank Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Leanne. It's a yeah. pleasure talking on your podcast. Yeah, that's my pleasure. So you work at a business called The Exchange, which is where our friends Justine and Monica from the agency have their business. Tell us a little bit about The Exchange. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as Leanne said, I'm Malika. I'm the program manager and project lead here at The Exchange. The Exchange is a social impact organisation. We are an innovation hub and a community co-working space uh, based out in Dubbo. And our job is essentially to ensure that regional bush founders and regional startups and those in small businesses are supported. Uh, and so we call a beautiful uh, heritage clock tower. It's 160 years old home. And we essentially just have a thriving hub of uh, startups in our space every day and they come and go and they work on their businesses and they collaborate and meet new people and network and it's a really fantastic place to be. Yeah, and it really is a beautiful building. Yeah, it's stunning. We did a massive uh, one-year renovation on it when um, the owner, Gillian Kilby, first bought the building. It was pretty derelict and so we spent a lot of time doing it up and it's now, yeah, home to startups all across the region. Yeah, it was a really um, brave thing for her to do, really, to buy a building like that and invest that amount of time and money. What made her so sure that it was the right direction? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, When she first bought the building, there was a lot of risk involved. Everyone told us that it wouldn't work, uh, but Jill has actually started two businesses of her own, and so she knew that the need was out there to better support startups. And she uh, is an engineer by trade, and she seed-funded the whole project herself. We couldn't get Mm -hmm. any government funding, and so she was so sure that the need was there that she backed herself and seed-funded it. And uh, we're now being open in operation for two years, and uh, it's kind of funny that we've done a 360 because before we kept knocking on all the doors of government and other private uh, companies and kept getting no's and Dubbo wasn't big enough and regional startups weren't important enough Hmm. and now two years later um, the the tune is very different yeah they all come to us now um, asking us how we did it and how they can implement it in other parts of uh, the country how good is that that's amazing yeah it's fabulous And I love your Seats for the Brave. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So the Seats for the Brave initiative is an initiative that I started here at The Exchange. Uh, It was born off the back of uh, the drought, which we've suffered out here in Dubbo for the past uh, six years. Uh, Seats for the Brave is in collaboration with uh, individuals and private enterprises uh, to provide free co-working and desk space to struggling farming families who are looking to start or scale a secondary business for off-farm income. Um, We just had so many, when we first opened the doors the exchange we were deep in the grips of drought and pretty much everyone who walked through our doors were females uh, looking at starting a business and the need to secure off-farm income was so important uh, their husbands were working out in the fields every day and um, to no avail hence no rain and so they were really trying to shore up their family's financial future and start businesses that weren't reliant upon agriculture so this seats for the brave initiative is essentially for those uh, who are looking um, or 
who are looking to start businesses. Um, we provide co-working community to give these people the best chance of commercial success uh, in their own businesses, whether that be on or off the farm. And we essentially aim to serve as a landing pad and offer free seats to those who are hesitant about starting uh, a side business or those who are scaling or teetering on the edge but are kind of stalled at the barriers of their own confidence, capability or capacity. Uh, so that's kind of how Feats for the Brave uh, was started. Yeah, that's a really good point because it is, it's a really, um, it's a very friendly collaborative environment. And I'm sure that if people are sort of struggling with a little bit of confidence and you can imagine women that are, that are supporting their husbands out on the farm and all of a sudden have just got to try and think of some way of generating some income, they would really um, benefit from being in that kind of positive, uplifting environment. Yeah, I completely underestimated uh, the lack of confidence out here. Uh, It's the one driving uh, thing that I focus on. Uh, As a program manager, I make sure that I bring through a lot of programs to better help um, educate our startups. And literally a core part of my programs is about confidence and capacity building. Um, What I love about the exchange is that you do get people who have just started their business and their business might literally be days, if not weeks old, and they'll sit in our communal kitchen and they'll have a chat to someone who has a startup and uh, has been in operation now for five years. And it's just a natural kind of flow of conversation. But in a sense, it's mentoring and it's really organic and it's really natural. And it just being able to sit around a coffee table or on a couch and have a chat to someone and be like I'm really stuck on this or I don't know what to do now or I don't think I can do it and just having someone there to be like I was exactly where you were five weeks ago five months ago five years ago this is how I tackled it has just been absolutely invaluable and it's just happened so organically so we're really lucky in that sense Yeah, yeah that's incredible because those women would find it really hard to even know who to reach out to or how to find people but they're just all right there at the exchange Yeah, it's funny that um, before the exchange, no one really knew what anyone else was doing. And then suddenly we've just, once you open the doors, everyone just kind of flocks and it's now become a real hub of um, entrepreneurial activity and innovation. So it's been fabulous. So when I was in Dubbo, you told me about a business, um, I think it was Georgia was starting. Georgina. Um, Georgina. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that really intrigued me. Yeah, I love Georgina's story. Uh, so I call her Georgie. Georgie uh, has started, uh, currently lives with her husband and a child uh, on a mixed grain cropping farm out at Galagenbone. So that's still probably another 70 k's west of Dubbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, she started a separate business to support her family uh, during the drought and then recently wound it back at the start of 2020 when we had a really good rain mm-hmm. and it um, she's now started a secondary business called the Kid Crop. And the Kid Crop is essentially the story of resilience. Uh, After her and her husband planted 370 hectares of barley uh, earlier this year, Mm -hmm. then the actualization of the China tariffs hit during COVID, which meant that their crop was virtually reduced to nothing. Um, So she had to become quite inventive and figure out how she was going to find a new market for all this grain that they had, um, which was worth, kittens and so she started this came up with this concept of the kid crop which essentially aims to resolve uh the disconnect between city kids and their origins of their food and fiber so she's selling small bags of grain 
um, that children can, that parents and teachers and schools and communities can buy and they can see and touch and grow in their own backyards or on their windowsills, um, in the kitchen. And it's, it really helps sparks an interest and fills a knowledge gap um, with children. I, and that will as well, it's so important because it will influence their future decisions. Um, and through, I guess, an increase of under, an, an increase of understanding and what it takes to grow a crop, uh, future generations will have, um, I guess, a greater respect and empathy for the agricultural industry uh, through its good times and its bad times. So mm-hmm. she's started that. She's getting a lot of good traction. Um, but, yeah, she is. And she currently works out of the exchange several days a week, but she's uh, currently on our wait list of recipients as well for the Seats for the Brave sponsorship. Yeah, so Seats for the Brave actually pays for her seat, if she gets a sponsorship, that'll pay for her seat to be there at the exchange, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the Seats for the Brave sponsorship will pay for her seat to sit at the exchange. Yeah. It'll pay for any of the programs that we can pop her in, any of the um, incubators that come to town. We'll put her through those mentoring programs. So it really is an investment um, into a business and it just like relieves the, the financial burden for uh, that farming family who's trying to start. And I often say it's not just a sponsored desk to the recipient. It's very much a, you got this, we believe in you, we're back. Yeah you um we believe that you have a great product to deliver and that you can deliver it yeah yeah absolutely what does it cost to sponsor uh, somebody like georgie yeah so there's different tiers um with the lowest tier is a 450 dollars, and that's a 10 pack pass um so that'll last someone at least uh a couple months and then we go all the way up to a full year membership and that uh goes up to nine grand but there are different mm. tiers in between that as well so all that information is on our website yourexchange.co slash sponsorship uh, mm. and you can go and have a bit more of a read and see what uh some of the other uh recipients on our wait lists are also doing Great. I'll definitely check that out. So you've spent some time working overseas as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I recently have returned from working overseas uh, in Zambia, in Africa. I At university, I did a uh, thesis looking at women entrepreneurship, uh, specifically focusing on economic empowerment and financial freedom of women. Uh, I did an international studies and economics degree mm-hmm. and I got an internship out in Zambia where I was helping uh, women co-ops uh, who was trying to start and scale businesses break into new markets. So we were really regional, remote, rural parts um, of Zambia and heading into villages and uh, learning from them and helping them, um, you know, balance budgets uh, to, you know, acquiring new workers to finding sustainable answers to manufacturing and all the above. So it was fantastic. And I was there for uh, nine months in total. Wow, that's a long time. So talk me through what a normal day was like in Zambia. Oh, goodness. Um, I would be up at six and then I'd jump into um, like a little uh, Defender type car and I would drive out with um, two other local uh, community workers uh, who were Zambians. Um, And so in Zambia, the main language is English, but there's also several other different tribal languages. So we had community workers with us who spoke uh, the tribal languages and we'd drive for probably an hour and mostly just on dirt roads and bush bash our way into um, the smaller villages. And Mm. off 
often those villagers knew ahead of time um, that we were coming. So we would turn up and we would think that there might be like maybe 10 to 15 women who we were going to work with. And some places we turn up to uh, a village or a community hall and there'd be like over 100 women who would really? like walked for hours from different villages Um, and so we'd spend the day uh, to a week working with them and then we had several different community halls all around um, the province which I was in and so every couple weeks we would just travel back to those ones and uh, keep working um, and establishing the relationship with uh, the women and the startups so it was absolutely fascinating but every day was completely different. Yeah I'll bet it was so what sort of businesses were the women um, working in or working on yeah a whole different array um i would say the predominant one was still very much textile uh heavy um a lot of textiles manufacturing making of clothing um and that kind of thing but it ranged from healthcare to um agriculture um actually there was some tech which was starting to be um filtered through so we were kind of uh, introduced them to health tech um, and agri-tech and they were kind of the main ones as well um, but a lot of artisans um, and yeah. So how did you help them find markets for their products? Yep that great question. So we liaised we worked quite closely with um, a lot of the bigger NGOs uh, both western NGOs as well as um, the NGOs back in um, Lusaka which is the capital of Zambia and so my role essentially was to be the intermediary between the two so I would spend some time in Lusaka the capital and I would be talking to um, bigger you know department stores or um even those people who um, were in in Africa, you find that there's a lot of people from Western countries who come over to handpick um, different products, which they then take back to the West. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time liaising with them and going back and forth between um, what was happening, I guess, uh, within the villages and regional parts of Zambia and then um, who I could help um, break into these new markets with uh, and take their products overseas in some capacity. Yeah, but yeah. also through the internet, um, mm-hmm. even just establishing them, they're like an online presence um, and there's a lot of great apps and things like that which are coming out. So a common misconception is that everyone in Africa has a phone and they all have access to the internet. Um, even in the most remote parts, everyone has a phone and so a lot of it was just introducing them to certain apps that uh, they could use to, you know, um, get graphic designers yeah. based in Taiwan or Pakistan or whatever to help them with um, um, their their branding and things like that. So it was really it was it was really an international experience. And was it what you expected when you got there? No, no. Way. I thought that I knew there would be challenges. You're in Africa and you're remote, but I completely underestimated the everyday influences that would impact upon just trying to get business done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as well the cultural norms. Uh, for context, I am half Zambian. I'm half Zambian, half Australian. And so was I, that part of the motivation for Zambia being the destination for you or was that just coincidental? It was, yeah, initially part of the motivation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was always desperate to go back to Africa uh, yeah. and so it was nice that I could. I did have the opportunity to go specifically to Zambia, but yeah. I definitely underestimated um, the everyday influences that would impact upon 
business. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, we had a lot of issues because I was working specifically with women um, when their businesses were starting to take off and were making decent money. Um, one day you're working with a woman quite closely and then the next day she suddenly doesn't show up and then you come back a week later, she's still not showing up and you're wondering where it's gone wrong where is she what's happened to her and it turns out that you know her husband's beat her up because suddenly she's making more money than he is and she's lost all her confidence and then you're kind of back at square one and so (laughs) there's a lot of things like that where you it's really it's really tough because you've just got to take into consideration the whole gamut of other um issues so how do you deal with that? That must be frustrating and disheartening and must make you so angry as well. How do you actually deal with that personally? Yeah, it did. It made me so frustrated because it feels like you're constantly applying, uh, putting bandages on things but never yeah. actually fixing the root cause. Yeah. But a lot of the time the root cause is just so structural or it's institutionalised that yeah. it's going to take mass change uh, to actually fix these problems. So yeah. it kind of feels like one step forward, three steps back in a yeah. sense, and it feels like that every single day. But you just have to believe that, you know, this is working and that you take, when you have wins, you take those wins and you really celebrate them because it takes a lot to get there yeah and I always refer to this quote by Desmond Tutu where it's like I feel like I was pulling people out of the river every day but one day you have to go upstream and ask why they're falling in and it feels a little bit like that in order to tackle the bigger issues in terms of yeah you know domestic violence or um how you know men feel about you know stereotypes to women yeah yeah yeah, like that's a bigger that's a whole big issue and that's going upstream and actually tackling that so it definitely enlightened me to a lot of different issues which need to be tackled before we can actually see really good systemic change Mm. Mm. do you think that anybody who is in a position to make that change is tackling things like that in africa or not it's hard uh in zambia the politicians are still predominantly male um we do have a female deputy prime minister which is a start um but it's africa it's africa so a lot of the time it's a lot of self-interest um and yeah yeah, you know but there's some great ngos the un's doing some amazing work there um i went to a few of their workshops and uh they're attracting really large audiences of people and so both males and females i think it's really it was really great for me to see that they were working just as closely with males trying to tackle issues as they were with females um and that was really positive so i think that eventually it will change um and already people are telling me that they've seen shifts who've been there for over 20 30 years uh but it's just one of those things where it's just slow but it starts off with the ngos and the people on the ground rather than like the upper tiers and so are you going um are you going back I would love to. I actually yeah. plan to go back for Easter uh, nice. this year, but due to COVID, I couldn't. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I would love to. So I'm just kind of cutting my teeth here in regional uh, New South Wales in Dubbo, and um, I think the grand scheme of or my grand plan is to eventually go back and actually start tackling some of those bigger issues, which I'm seeing. Wow. How exciting. Yeah. Yeah, a bit daunting. Yeah, I can imagine it is a bit daunting, but what a worthwhile thing um, to be focused on. I think it's just incredible. So congratulations to you and and I will be very interested to follow your journey because I'm sure you're going to really achieve some big things. 
Thank you so much, Leanne. I really yeah. appreciate that. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking the time and thank you all for tuning in. And we will be back producing podcasts again for you very early in 2021. So take care, everybody. Bye.